Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Loader is here as the National Director of Compassionate Friends. We were to have the lollies in from um, Coventry, England, but somehow we've had a glitch and Pat's uh, very kindly uh, come in to talk about Compassionate Friends on the show and hopefully we'll have the lollies on again. Uh, Pat, uh, tell us how you got involved with the Compassionate Friends and thanks so much for coming on to the show. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I got involved with the Compassionate Friends uh, shortly after the death of my two children. They were killed in 1991 when a racing design motorcycle broadsided the side of my car that the two children were sitting on. Um, Stephanie was eight at the time, and um, she was flown to Children's Hospital where she died uh, later that, well, actually the next day. Stephen was five, and... um, had just turned five that week, as a matter of fact, and um, he was never able to be resuscitated. Mm. Well, we have a lot of people listening to the show that certainly uh, know that pain, and, and I think that's one of the things that the Compassionate Friends does. It gives, it's been what, how long for you? It has been 14 and a half years. Yeah, and 22 for me. So I think one of the things that we're going to talk about today is how developing our stories and sharing our stories can be so helpful, particularly with people a little further along the path who understand what we've been through uh, or what you are going through at this time. Um, I wanted you all to know, too, that Pat and I have uh, and Compassionate Friends have been working to do CDs, Appealing the Grieving Heart, and that I'm looking at some of them right now. They're really beautiful in a beautiful package. And you can hear Pat was our first guest on Healing the Grieving Heart and then Harriet Schiff and Patrick Malone talking about grief in the workplace. Harriet Schiff did the bereaved parent. Uh, we, uh, Heidi Horsley, my daughter, talks about adolescent grieving, and uh, we have pregnancy and loss. So all these wonderful CDs, they are archived on the uh, Compassionate Friends website, and also you can um, uh, listen to them on Voice America. But if you're like me, I, it's nice to have a CD that you can pop in your car when you're going to listen to a special show that you want to hear. Well, Pat, uh, we were going to talk today a little bit about the history of the Compassionate Friends, and uh, I know you know the history, and uh, I wondered if we could talk a little bit about how it got started. I know the Lollies started it in England with uh, Simon Stevens. I believe he came over to the United States, uh, Reverend Stevens. He did come over to the United States. Um, If we back up and we talk a little bit about the Lollies, um, their son Kenneth was um, hit by a car when he was... um, riding his bicycle to school one morning. And uh, he was taken to the hospital. Uh, and in the same hospital, on the same ward, was another young man that was dying from cancer. And the Simon Stevens, who was the young hospital chaplain at that time at the hospital, saw that, you know, the, the both parents were grieving the death of the imminent death of, of their two children and first Kenneth died, and then um, the other young man died. And um, th- he brought the two parents together, and he found that bringing them together and 
the fact that they could talk about their grief, this, that shared experience, even though one died from a from an illness, the other one died very suddenly from this from an accident. He saw that bringing them together could help them so much more than he could help them as as a young priest. And so that was the first thing, the first start of the compassionate friends in England. Um, they got together. Had a formed a meeting in which they invited one other bereaved parent, and it was just a very very um, informal gathering, a kitchen table kind right. of gathering of these families. I wanted to uh, t- first uh, bring up an email that is from Carol from Maine, and she is telling me that uh, I just put a celebration of my daughter Cindy's wedding on Library of Life celebration site. Everyone loved the pictures, and we've had a lot of fun logging in there. Congrats. Great site. I can't believe for only $55 it's on for a lifetime. I love your th- show, and thanks for having it on, Carol. Well, thanks, Carol. We love to get your emails and uh, keep keep the emails coming. And, Pat, uh, before break, we were talking a little bit about how Compassionate Friends got started with the Lollies and Simon Stevens. One of the things I wanted to um, talk about was Simon Stevens' life. Uh, this minister I tried to get a hold of him in, um, right now he is in um, uh, Russia, but he had quite the life. He did. Um, uh, could you mention a little bit about that? Because I think part of the the reason Compassionate Friends could get started was because he had already had this kind of experience himself. He wasn't just any um, minister who came together with p- uh, parents whose children had died. He actually experienced a great loss when he was approximately 15 years old. He um, had convinced his, his parents that they needed to go to some sort of, I'm not sure if it was like a parent-teacher conference or, or what exactly it was, but it was something at his school that he felt that it was it was very important that the entire family attend. And um, so they all got into the car and they were on their way to this event at the school and a gasoline truck hit them. Uh, he, he, the driver of the truck was uh, was drunk at the time, and Simon's both of his parents were killed, and both his brother and sister. Um, Simon spent six months in the hospital himself, recovering from the accident, and went on to um, become a priest after that time. But you know, he obviously has a very um, he has a he has a story himself. He yes, he a, does. And. Uh, um, and he wrote a book called Death Comes Home, right? Uh, it's kind of a, I'm trying to get it right now. It's out of print, but um, I am trying to get it. I think one of the keys to the Compassionate Friends is just what uh, Pat Loader talked about, and that is sharing your story, mm-hmm. uh, that he was able to share his story. And would you say that's one of the things that we do at Compassionate Friends? Oh, it is the most important thing that we do at a, at a Compassionate Friends meeting. Um, I'm one of those people that felt that, you know, I'm a very private person and didn't think going someplace and telling strangers about my story, the, the worst thing that had ever happened to me in my entire life, and telling strangers the story would ever help. And But it did. It, my husband, you know, I used to say, take me any place, don't take me to there, you know. But what happened was that we would go and suddenly it... You know, these people would talk about and share their stories. And one person in particular I can remember sitting at a TCF meeting, and she talked about the videotape that never stopped going off in her head. And she replayed the, the scene of her, her 
um, son's drowning, and I thought, oh, my gosh, somebody else has a videotape that never goes off in their head? Because over and over and over, I would replay the accident. I would replay what we did that day. It would go off over and over in my head from the time I woke up in the morning into the time I went to sleep at night. I just kept replaying this over and over. What could I have done differently? What, what, what? possibly I could have done or, or you know, who helped me, who, who didn't help me. All of those things kept going off in my head. And, and I connected very much with that person when she, when she talked about it because I thought, oh, my goodness, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going crazy. This is a normal thing that happens to people that they relive over and over this Exactly, and and what you're saying, the the idea of normal, you know, that grief is normal. I I was talking, interviewing Ben um, Seif yesterday uh, about his, talking to him about his brother uh, being murdered, and uh, he talked about he actually got put in a mental hospital. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to a therapist um, and talking to him, uh, trying to tell him my story, and uh, he started talking to me about uh, something that happened in my childhood. And that really wasn't where it, it was at. We really do need to tell our current story over and over and, oh, and absolutely. that. It's a horrific event that happened in our lives, and, and we need to tell the story. Sometimes I, I call it the head and the heart thing. Our head realizes that it happened, but trying to convince our heart that our children have died is quite another thing. And so we have to retell that story and retell that story until the, we can, you know, it can become woven into our into our lives. Yes, and when we first tell it, it's with such sorrow and hurt and pain. And then when we get together with other people um, in a group, we see them telling their story with a little less and a little less. And you know, um, uh, of course, our story always you know touches our heart, but um, it becomes part of. And the remarkable thing about going to a TCF meeting, when we tell our story to a friend, for instance, they want so much for us to be better, to be normal, to be that person that we used to be. And we're never going to be that person that we used to be. But when we go to a TCF meeting, we realize that we can tell our story and we can tell it and we can cry and we could... Uh, laugh at a funny spot if we feel that there's something that, that, that might be funny that our child has died or, or has done, excuse me. Um, and we can share that and we can, and we can do it in such a way that it helps us to, to come to grips with, with our story. And, and it's so healing to be able to tell it without the fear that you know, we're going to get shut down because right. we don't get shut down there. Friends and family want us to move on, and they think telling our story is is a, is something that, oh, we're dwelling on it, but we're not dwelling on it. We need that to share. Uh, that is true. And uh, right now uh, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, Simon Stevens coming to the United States and how that how he got here, and he um, asked there, there to be an, a national organization of compassionate friends. Is that right? Mm-hmm. He did. He did. Um, actually, Time Magazine wrote a story about um, 
of the Society of the Compassionate Friends, which is what it was originally called, um, they wrote a story about the Compassionate Friends and, and the help that was happening over in England. And it was read by a family here in the United States, the Shamries, and um, who had experienced the death of their daughter, uh, Gabrielle. And she died in a car train accident. So they invited Simon Stevens to come to the United States and talk about starting the Compassionate Friends here. And he did so. And now, how many chapters are there here now? We have nearly 600 um, in, located in all 50 states in Puerto Rico. Um, and there are Compassionate Friends presence uh, in uh, an estimated 30 countries around the world. Now, how, how will our listeners get in touch with the group? Uh, they can call toll-free our national office at 877-969-0010, and we're more than happy to put together a customized packet of material for that family. They will, the, the staff will ask the person how the child died, if there are surviving children, anything that they can help um, uh, any of the brochures that we have, like if there are grandparents involved, whatever the case may be, uh, the staff will put a copy of the brochures into the packet of material and mail it to the family along with uh, local chapter referral information as far as when the chapter meets or a contact person to contact about a local chapter. And Carl Snap is on, Snap is on right now. Carl is on the board of the Compassionate Friends, has been involved with it, the organization for a long time. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thanks. Great to be here. It's great to have you on. Um, before we went to break, Pat and I were just talking about the, the history of the Compassionate Friends a bit, covering it lightly, but we were also talking about what the Compassionate Friends can do for our listeners. And I wondered uh, if you want to talk a little bit about your history with the Compassionate Friends and about your child. Well, Dave was 32 years old uh, when he died of thyroid cancer in 1988. And it was in June, uh, actually the 31st of May. And we were pretty busy, Sue and I, uh, with some projects that, that uh, Dave had wanted us to take care of. And it wasn't really until after Thanksgiving and, and Christmas that we just kind of collapsed and, and felt like, uh, you know, really felt the impact of his death. And Sue knew about uh, some group that was for bereaved parents, and it was called the Compassionate Friends or something like that, she thought. Mm-hmm. And we found, we lived in Pennsylvania at the time, we found a, a chapter that was very close to our home. And... Um, they met twice a month, and we we went to that first meeting, and I'll never forget, we pulled, it was in a lady's house, and we pulled around the corner, and there were, the cul-de-sac was filled with, with cars, and we thought we'd come to the wrong place or something. We went into to the house of the lady who was the chapter leader, mm-hmm. and it, there were 40 people there. Oh, my goodness, that's a uh, large group, house. isn't it, Pat? Mm-hmm. It was just overwhelming. And, of course, we left knowing that we had to come back. Uh, How was it for you uh, being a guy? Did you did you talk up or were you quiet or what well, would our listeners expect? I was quiet. I couldn't, I couldn't talk, not because I didn't want to, but when I opened my mouth to talk for about the first four or five months of meetings, I couldn't. My, I, my voice just wouldn't come out. I would start to cry, mm-hmm. and I couldn't talk. So 
so I listened, and and it was so valuable to just be there uh, among all these people who, even though I wasn't talking, knew what I was feeling. And uh, it didn't bother me going to meetings. Uh, I know it does for some guys, but uh, I was in the human resources area, and meetings were the way you got things done. And so I, I understood meetings, and I looked forward to them. Ah, and it, and then you became a leader at, at some well, point, you and your wife? Or? Yeah, Sue and I got uh, a couple years later became uh, members of the steering committee of that chapter, and then when we moved from, uh, after I retired, and we moved from Philadelphia to Tucson, Arizona, we got involved in the chapter there, and we're, we're chapter leaders there for a couple of years, and stayed on that uh, steering committee in, in a leadership role for so five think, years we were in yeah. Tucson. So I think that one of the things, uh, yes, Pat? Uh-huh. I think Carl brought up a really important point in that he said that he didn't, he didn't talk mm-hmm. at, at the meetings at first. And that's really important to understand that you don't have to go to a TCF meeting and talk. You're not forced to talk. But listening is so valuable to hear how other people have coped with their grief. And you learn so much um, in just listening. And you hear some of your story and their story, too, that you, don't, you, you, you kind do. of get a new insight. You do, absolutely. The other thing that Carl um, was talking about that really came up for me, and I think both of you are so fabulous in this, is the opportunity to serve. Well, you don't even realize you're doing it. You know, you, as as you get a little farther along in your grief, and you and you, uh, if you've been going to meetings, you come to a point where I think you you, you sort of reflect on where you are now compared to where you were then, and realize that. You're actually one of the people now who newcomers are listening to and saying, "Oh, I can get through this because look at them." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've made it, and so can you. Yeah, and it isn't. It's almost a passive thing. You just yeah, it's that transition. You don't even know when it takes place. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, beautiful. Uh, I remember just uh, standing in the receiving line after my son died. A man came to me and said, "My son died." And, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what he said beyond that. I'm sure he said other things. But all I did was look at him and think, I may live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's so basic at the very mm-hmm. beginning, isn't it? It is very basic. Mm-hmm. Basic living. Uh, so, Carl, the other thing I wanted to mention, and, and Pat, too, is to talk about as uh, the history of Compassionate Friends progressed, um, how they have moved into even, uh, have, including siblings. At first, I believe it was just parents, but I know your uh, daughter, Carl, has been very involved with uh, moving, moving compassionate friends in that direction. Am I right on that? That's right. She, well, she was uh, on the board of directors and was a was the, actually the president of the board of directors for a couple of years and, and was the first sibling to be in that in that role. And, and again, as Pat said about. Things happening gradually, and you don't even realize when they happen. This organization gradually uh, came to more, more and more formally embrace uh, siblings as, as equals with the parents, if you, if you don't mind that term. Uh, so many times, uh, siblings, especially younger ones, uh, are are just overlooked, and you hear all these tales from from kids. 
uh, teens particularly saying, uh, I, you know, I didn't know, uh, what to do about my parents. Uh, if I brought anything up, they would cry, and so I kind of avoided it. And, and, uh, people would ask me how my parents were doing and not give any thought to how I'm doing. And, and we realize that now throughout the organization. Yeah, so there are some wonderful sibling things going on. Pat, can you talk about uh, what's going on with the siblings, like at the national conference, or um, do you have any idea about how many siblings groups there are? What are your thoughts on that? Well, our national conference, we offer a whole um, track of, of workshops specifically for the siblings. As as Carl says, it has been an evolution for for the organization that we realize that, you know, a death of a child, it really happens to, you know, it doesn't happen to just the the, the parents. It happens, you know, this is a, a trauma that has happened to for the entire family. So the siblings are, are, are brought in and, and um, we offer an entire track for the siblings. We offer a track for grandparents at our national conference. We also are a couple of workshops for, for the grandparents, and we also offer workshops for for friends and family who accompany people to our national conference so that they know how they can best help a grieving person. Uh, the conference is wonderful, and it's in Dearborn, Michigan this year. And do you have any idea what the dates are? The okay. dates um, for the conference will be uh, July 20th through the 22nd. I'm sorry, July 14th through the 16th, I'm getting my 07 date mixed up, <laughs> uh, July 14th through the 16th with a pre-conference professionals day on the, the uh, 13th. That's great, and I would highly recommend that people uh, come to this. You know, I, I've been interested because uh, my daughter works with the siblings a lot, and uh, my daughter Heidi, and one of the things that I've been very interested in is how the parents say, well, um, I think they're just coming to have fun and, and see Dearborn and see the museum and all that. Um, but you know what? If that's how you get your siblings there, um, your children there, it's it's well worth it because those siblings getting together, sharing that loss, it's it's an incredible thing. It's so powerful, and uh, they really are able to talk about their losses in a beautiful yeah. way. And you know, they they do it while they're doing these other activities. Yes, they may come, and and some of them will talk about um, uh, not wanting to attend the conference. They don't think that. That's something for them, but they ha- they make lasting friendships at these conferences, and and the, having the opportunity, no pressure involved, but they they participate in some of the programs and some of the workshops, and are able to share their their grief experiences at their own pace and their own way and their own time, and it really helps them tremendously. Yeah, it's uh, Carl. Have you had any experiences with the teens? I know, or with the uh, the siblings there at the conference. Uh. Just, just as an outsider, not being a teen. Yeah, but, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, the the thing that I've noticed, and and I noticed that early on when when we would be going to conferences, uh, and Karen would be there also, even though she was certainly an adult, uh, that that the camaraderie among the siblings spans a lot of years of age. I mean, there would be thirty year olds and and fifteen year olds who ordinarily wouldn't. Give each other the time of day. Who has something in common, and, and they uh, they bond pretty well at those. Kinds yeah, and of it, it's again the idea of we've made it, and so can you. They see some people who are further out with the loss, and who had siblings die when they were young, younger. You know, maybe fourteen, and now they're seventeen or eighteen, and 
and they're seeing, you know, it, and people can talk to them about how it is with their parents and that kind of thing. So we've come from this organization from uh, four, what, five people in London, England having tea together and and then uh, or Coventry, England, then coming to the United States with Simon Stevens and Time Magazine, and then Harriet Schiff was on Donahue. She was telling me she's on our CDs that we're selling uh, of um, Healing the Breathing Heart. And uh, she talks about how she was on the Donahue show and it got it going. So we've come from that. We have regional conferences too, isn't that right, Pat? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Regional conferences are held um, around the United States. Actually, we have a regional conference this weekend in Door County, Wisconsin. And how would people find out about those? Uh, they can visit the national website at www.compassionatefriends.org, and we have a listing of all of the regional conferences, national conference. If there's an international conference going on, we have that on our website. So visit the website often, and um, you can find any listing that um, at that um, under the uh, conference website under the conference um, listings. Mm-hmm. Well, we've certainly become a, a cyber world. Here we are talking uh, to a show that is archived on the Compassionate Friends website as well as the Voice America website, and it can be picked up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all over the world so that people can hear um, others talk about how basically we've made it and so can you and, and dealing with these profound losses in our life. Um, I think, uh, Carl, you, you uh, logged into my uh, website, didn't you, for uh, the Library of Life? Yes. For what, my grandchild that's coming from China? Yeah, the Library of Life sponsoring this show today. And I know Pat logged in, too, and left a little, you guys left little messages, which was great. And uh, I uh, think that um, the Library of Life is a great way for our teens, too, to be able to set up websites or anyone in your family to be able to set up websites for your family members. You can play music. You can have... Um, pictures, uh, people can make comments. It's, it's a wonderful site, so hopefully you'll go to the Library of Life. You can also pick it up off my website, Healing the Grieving Heart, and uh, log into the Library of Life and then log into Celebration, their uh, one and Dedication, and it's very easy to create these websites. So and there's I highly also, recommend. There's also an opportunity to, to uh, make a, uh, a memorial website. Right, exactly. The you know, memorial. Like you did for Scott. Yeah, and now are you going to make one for Dave? I'm not sure. I've talked to Dave about it. <laughs> well, the amazing, the amazing thing about doing this website is that I am not a techie, and I was able to put it up. You can put the website up in like 10 minutes. It's pretty amazing. And, it, and then you um, are able to change things on it and move things around, and, and it's just a, a wonderful kind of thing. It's a nonprofit organization that's doing it, and it is free for 14 days, and then it's only $55 after that to keep it on the web for a lifetime. <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to talk about, and uh, Carl, I didn't know if you, you haven't seen him yet, Pat has, but we've produced CDs of this show. All the proceeds go to the Compassionate Friends, and uh, it's a wonderful set of 10 CDs, and uh, we hope that you will go to the Compassionate Friends website and order those CDs, and let's see if i got my number right here where we can... I'm not sure what number is it. They, oh, here they are. Or you can call 877-969-0010 to order CDs of the show. That's toll free. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> it's a toll free number. And we have a special introductory price for them now, so uh, we hope that you will 
ordered them, and I can't remember what our introductory price was. Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, no, I don't have it. $45. Oh, $45. Good, Pat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they'll sell for, what, $60? The regular prices. Yeah, the regular price, so that we hope that you'll order those CDs, because if you're like me, I love to pop a CD in my and that's that's car. for, uh, what is it, 15? How many shows? Ten, uh, ten shows. Mm-hmm. Ten, ten shows. shows. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and all the proceeds go to the Compassionate Friends. And they'll be uh, wonderful for you to, I've already, <laughs> I got ten of them myself and I've already given them all away, so I've got to get another set of ten. But uh, people are really appreciative and they're really lovely and they have my son's picture on the front and uh, on all of the CDs and I'm hoping. Oh, how uh, nice. Yeah, I'm hoping with our next set we'll uh, put the people uh, who are on the show's kits on the CDs. I wanted to ask you about how many chapters are there and worldwide, and I know it's a hard number to uh, to get a grip on because this is a volunteer organization, and there are only what? How many paid employees? Four? Or oh, we have like that? Uh, we have six paid employees, um, but in our office we ha- we have chartered through the United States uh, national organization. We have nearly 600 chapters here in the United States and a couple in Puerto Rico. And uh, worldwide, we're in approximately 30 countries around the world. So um, it's a very, very large organization. And the, the tremendous amount of help that the organization gives, we hear all the time, TCF saved my life, TCF saved my life. And I have to say that that's what happened with me, that I was able to, to go to meetings, listen to other bereaved parents, and and normalize my grief. Mm-hmm. Now, how would if if one, some of our listening audience are uh, listening to um, Healing the Grieving Heart, however, they don't have a chapter in their area and they want to start one, how would they do it? They can call toll free our uh, number eight seven or eight six six. No, that's my toll free number eight seven seven nine six nine zero zero one zero, and talk with our. Chapter Services Coordinator, and she can help, um, you know, through the process of chartering a chapter if anybody is interested in chartering one. Mm-hmm. So if you're hearing the show, it's not in your area, you're having, uh, and you would really like to start one, you get a lot of support. There are um, training programs now for chapter leaders, isn't that we right? We do. We have chapter leader training programs. We hold uh, three different programs throughout the United States. Uh, during the year, and we also hold chapter leader training during our national conference, uh, so the the modules are also available during workshop times um, at our national conference. But the training programs are invaluable for our for our leadership to to attend those those weekends. So it's pretty amazing that this organization has come uh, so far in uh, how many years? What year did it start in? Well, it was actually back in 1969 in England that it that it started. But in the United States, we became um, actually um, uh, incorporated in 1978. So since 1978, it's it's really um, come of age in that uh, the organization gives a lot of support and a lot of structure on, on how to help people set up these groups uh, for people. It's really a marvelous organization. The other thing I wanted to say is this is really an organization where if you donate to the Compassionate Friends, um, 
it is very low key and it does go directly to helping chapters and support them and to helping the organization because it doesn't go for sure to um, overhead because as I said it's a large organization with six paid employees mm-hmm. which is quite amazing and the opportunity to volunteer and the opportunity to serve are, are incredible in the organization. When you figure that we have that many employees and last year alone we had nearly 64,000 telephone calls, letters, emails, all of those sorts of things received in the national office, that's a tremendous amount of, of response that we, that we, we give with, with such a small staff. So. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, no one has asked me to do this, I know, uh, but they do have a site for donation on the Compassionate Friends website, and it is a very uh, worthy cause to donate to. Uh, Pat, uh, well, I want to talk just a little bit. We don't have too much time, but um, about Compassionate Friends, uh, as far as sometimes we hear some negative um things about uh, the person went once and then they uh, didn't ever go again and that kind of thing. Do you have any, any thoughts on that? We, we try to tell people that they should try at least three meetings. A self-help group meeting is perhaps not for everyone. We realize that. But when you go to your first meeting, it is such an intense experience to, to first off, it, you have to be very brave to walk through the door the first mm-hmm. time. And, and, and often you have to have a friend take you, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think I thought Carl was great when he, they just, he and Sue just went. Uh, mm-hmm. But I had somebody take me along, mm-hmm. shepherd me in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and what you find is, is a lot of times, as Carl said, you can't speak for several meetings. And, and you hear all of these other stories and it becomes, you know, people, uh, you know, trying to process all of that, they go, oh, I, I could never, never go back there. But if you try it the second time or the third time, we say try it three times because you, you begin to get the, the understanding. You're not as overwhelmed. Your first, that first meeting going there, the first time admitting that your child has died, having to articulate that your child has died, and that's the reason why you are there. And then, you know, setting through a meeting can be really, really difficult that first time through. So going again, um, you know, does help to, to see if, if, help you make that determination if, if those meetings are for you. Right. Well, thank, uh, Pat, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. You're pinch hitting, uh, since we had some problems with, uh, uh, the lollies from England. Hopefully we'll get them on another day because they're, um, sort of the first family or founding family of the Compassionate Friends. So thanks a lot for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. It's time you to close so the show. Uh, it was great. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.